Friends, if you have your Bibles now, uh, please go ahead and open them with me yet again to Exodus chapter 25. Today we are going to consider two more pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. We're going to consider the table and the lampstand. And so let's begin by reading verses 23 to 40. God says, You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it a handbreadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense, and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers. And a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it. The whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamp shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his holy and sacred word this morning. Friend, have you ever felt out of place somewhere? Maybe you felt excluded from a conversation that you walked up to. Maybe you accidentally or intentionally attended or, or crashed a party or a wedding that you were not invited to, and so you felt unwelcome there. There was no name tag waiting for you. There was no place setting for you to sit. Recently, I went to the Delaware Leadership Breakfast, an event that happens every year on the waterfront. It was good to be there again, but there's a bit of confusion as I arrived. The people that I normally attend with were unable to join at the last moment, and so I was looking for a table without any familiar faces waiting for me. I finally found my table number, and I sat down confidently, but I didn't know any of the people at the table, and as I started conversations, they didn't know what I was talking about. I said, hey, hey, do you know Matt? How do you know Matt? And they had no idea who I was talking about. I, I immediately felt like an imposter. 
I didn't feel welcome. In fact, I felt like it would be easier just to get up and excuse myself and go go home. It, it, it turns out I was at the right table. They just combined two different tables together. But some of you know that feeling. Some of you have had this experience. You've, you've walked into the wrong meeting at work or you entered that classroom on campus uh, where the wrong class was going on. Some of you, some of you even have this feeling this morning. Church feels weird to you. You assume that everyone else in this room is different from you and that you don't belong. These are uncomfortable feelings. We do not like to feel out of place. No, we like to belong. We like to be welcomed in. But sadly, I think that for many of us, these feelings are common when it comes to spiritual matters. Imposter syndrome is a common thing in the Christian church. We all can feel like we are out of place. We all feel like we do not belong. And it's not just even towards each other. Many of us feel like we do not belong when it it comes to our relationship with God himself. Almost like he's looking at us this morning and saying, "Uh, did you take a wrong turn? How how did you come here? Did you get lost on your way? Why, Why are you in this room? And those feelings can be particularly strong as we consider the holiness of God. Last week, we considered the Ark of the Covenant, which would be kept in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in the tabernacle, and we considered how because of God's great holiness, his presence must be cut off from sinful humanity. He must be separated from us in our sin. And yes, we also considered his welcoming mercy and grace. But at times, we still can't help but feel if God's holiness is before us, we do not belong here. Like there's no room at the table for us. Maybe it would be easier just to get up and excuse ourselves and go home. Maybe we should go live in the corner by ourselves. We can feel out of place when we consider the great holiness of our God. And church family, we we need to talk about this this morning because this has massive implications for our relationship with God. If you do not feel welcomed, if you do not feel fully accepted by him, then your relationship with him will lack all joy. It will lack all peace. Every Sunday you will feel like you're attending a dinner party where the host did not invite you. Church will not be pleasant. Prayer will not happen. Reading God's word will not be a pleasant experience. We will feel like imposters before God. And this has implications for us in how we relate to each other as well. If if you don't feel accepted by God, chances are you probably will not feel accepted by other Christians. You'll feel judged. You won't go to fellowship group. Or if you do go, you won't really open up your lives to participate because you'll feel like an imposter. You will remain private, very reserved, very individual, never truly opening up and letting others know you and care for you as they should. But my friends, what we see in the tabernacle today speaks to all of this. The table and the lampstand might feel like boring pieces of furniture, but in reality, they represent remarkably encouraging truth for God's people. The main idea for our sermon this morning is this. God wants to share a meal with you in the light of his presence. God wants to share a meal with you in the light of his presence. 
We have two points. Number one, the table. Number two, the lampstand. Let's begin with the first point, the, lamp, the table. So with the Ark of the Covenant and, and the Holy of Holies being, as we saw last week, so restricted, we, we might feel out of place. That we are, in fact, not welcome. That God does not want us to be with him. But in verses 23 to 30, we see something profound. God instructs Moses to create this table. This table is one of three pieces of furniture that will be in the next section of the tabernacle called the holy place. And, And these verses don't yet speak about what this table is for. They more just give practical instruction on how to build this table. It is to be three feet long. It is to be 1.5 feet wide and 2.3 feet high. It is to be covered with gold. It is to have rings and poles to carry it. Now, now those rings and poles are different from the ark. Last week, the poles were a sign of the incredible holiness of that piece of furniture in the holy of holy place. People could not touch the ark, and so they must carry it with those poles. The poles with the ark were never to, to leave it. They were to stay with the ark at all times. It's not the same with the table. These serve a more pragmatic purpose. It's a holy piece of furniture, but not as holy as the ark. But they're there to help move it from place to place when needed. And then there are to be utensils. Verse 29, plates and dishes and flagons and bowls. These are the instructions for what the table is supposed to be. It is, as you view here, honestly, not much more than a very ornate and valuable coffee table. That's what it feels like. And so we have to ask the question, why? Why is there this table in the tabernacle? But look at verse 30. The the description of the table ends with these words. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. And so the purpose of the table is not really found in the details of its design, but rather in what would be put upon the table, the bread of the presence. This table in the holy place was to hold bread. Now this passage doesn't really tell us much about the bread, but we can learn more from Leviticus chapter 24. It says, You shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put frankincense on each pile, that it may go well with that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever, and it shall be for Aaron and his sons as they shall eat. So in the tabernacle, inside the holy place, immediately outside of the most holy place, where God's presence resides, just a few feet away, is a table with 12 loaves of bread on it. What significance does that have? Well, friends, it was not because God was hungry and needed to eat. That's not what this is about. The Leviticus passage says that it was a food offering to the Lord, but it wasn't in the sense that the Lord needed it to be fed. No, it was a food offering of a different sort. It was an offering of an acknowledgement and trust to the Lord. 
It was an offering that, that highlighted not God's need or hunger for food, but our hunger and need for food. It acknowledges God's providential provision for his people. Right? Bread is in so many ways a sign of provision. We, we need bread. We need Food, biblically speaking, bread is a foundational sign of existence. It would have been their sustenance. They needed bread to live. And so most, most fundamentally, most practically, the table of bread in the holy place was a sign of God's provision. It's a sign of how lovingly eager God is to provide for his people. Despite his great holiness, which separates him from us, despite his being so different from us, the bread of the presence depicts God's eager heart to provide for our every need. And some of us need to hear this this morning. I need to hear this this morning. He doesn't just provide broadly. He provides specifically. Christian, God cares for you. In Leviticus 24, it says that there were to be 12 loaves. That would have been a very meaningful detail for every Israelite who heard it. 12 loaves for the 12 tribes of Israel. The people would have seen that as his, as his personal provision for them. God loved them personally. God wanted to provide for them personally. Christian, God cares for you personally. He, he doesn't just provide broadly. No, Jesus said that it is your, your heavenly Father who sees your need and who cares for you. Friends, you don't need to be anxious about the future. You do not need to live in fear about your bank account or about the economy. You don't need to be frantic in your heart about how God is going to provide because listen, God's providential provision for his people, it is personal, it is specific to you and listen, it is consistent and steady. Do, do you see that word in verse 25? It says that it would be put there regularly. The, the bread of the presence was to be replaced every week. Every Saturday, the priest would bake new bread and the priest would eat the old bread and then put the new bread in its place on the table. The Leviticus passage says that this is a covenant forever. Christian, your God sees your need this morning and he will never, ever, ever, ever fail to meet you in your need. Have you lost your job? He, he knows. He sees. Is your car breaking down? Do the holidays terrify you financially? Does it feel like finances will never be steady in your life? Are you struggling day by day, month by month? Your God put bread right in the holy place, right in his presence to show that he will always provide for his people. Listen, one more thing on the practical provision of the bread. I love how in verse 25, I think a moment ago I said verse 25, that was verse 30. This is verse 25. It says that there will be a rim around the table, and that rim is to be a handbreadth wide. Why? Seems like a, a pointless detail to include. Well, it would seem that that rim was probably designed by God with the sole purpose of protecting the bread from falling off of the table. It held it on. 
Church, think about how thoughtful God is about this table and therefore about his provision for the Israelite people. Christian, God cares for you in the same way. He will not let your life fall apart. He might allow there to be seasons of wanting and need, period, when he grows your faith in him by leading you to trust him more, but he will not fail you. He will not let your life or your soul or your mind fall apart. Christian, look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. If God, your Father, feeds and clothes them, how much more will he feed and clothe you? But now, the bread of the presence is not just a symbol of God's practical provision for his people. It is even more than that. Most significantly, this table and this bread remind us that God desires to eat a meal with us. It's not just a pile of bread on the floor. It is a table. It speaks of table fellowship. God doesn't just open the tent of the tabernacle and throw bread out like to a bunch of dogs. No, there's a table and it speaks of his desire and his eternal plan to eat with his people. And we know that because God's word from the very beginning all the way to the very end speaks of God's heart to dwell with and to eat with his people, to fellowship with them, to break bread with them. We know this about our God from his word. Church, think about bread. When we think about eating in the Bible, we should immediately think, first of all, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the very beginning when there was no sin, in that place there was so much joy and rich fellowship together and a big part of that joy and fellowship was relating to God with, with, with joy and with peace, but there was also a whole lot of food to eat. It was a place of plenty. And then we see other meals as well. In Genesis chapter 18, it says that the Lord appeared to Abraham, and Abraham hurried and made bread in order to share a meal with the Lord. The Passover in Exodus chapter 12 was not just a ritual, it was a meal. So, so the central sign of God's grace in the Old Covenant, the, the Passover, it's a meal. In Exodus 23, God gives laws about festivals and feasts where food is a primary ingredient. Why? Because he cares about this meal. At the end of the covenant ceremony in Exodus 24, you will remember God calls Abraham and the other elders of Israel up on the mountain. And what do they do? They eat a meal in his presence. Biblically speaking, bread and food remind us of God's desire to fellowship with his people. And so think about this, inside of the tabernacle, immediately outside of the Holy of Holies, where God's presence resides, what is the first piece of furniture that God speaks of and describes? It's a table, a table with food on it. And Leviticus says that it is to be a sign of the covenant forever. This is so important for you to hear, Christian. You really, really, really need to hear and believe this today. Please lock this into your mind and into your soul. God put a table inside the tabernacle. I hope that when you go home and somebody says, what did you learn at church today? You say, I learned that God wants to share a meal with me. That would be a great summary of this text. Christian, God wants to eat with you. Yes, his presence is holy. Yes, we must not be careless in how we approach him in his majesty and glory. But even as we consider his majesty, do not forget the meal that he has always said that he wants to share with you. 
Listen, if your tendency, and I think this is many of us, if it's your tendency to think harshly of God, if it is your tendency to view him as a God who is distant and removed and cold towards you, let this change that perspective today and forever. Let it change your view of God because God really, really wants to share a meal with you. So much, in fact, that he sent his son Jesus into this world. Jesus, who would describe himself as the bread of life. He has become our nourishment. He has become our sustenance. Jesus is the bread of life. We are to feast on him and we are to feast with him you don't need to feel like you're at the wrong table when you come in today you're not an outcast you're not an imposter you don't need to feel like you're at the wrong table when you come to eat with Jesus he is the most hospitable person the world has ever known He eats and drinks with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners of every kind. He provides food for 5,000 people at a time. He celebrates with us. He breaks bread with us. He says, this is my body which is for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And he says that when he returns, when he brings an end to all hunger and all want and all need in this world, when he brings about the new heavens and the new earth, how does he describe it? as a feast, as a meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Church, we will break bread with God forever. Redeemer, God loves table fellowship. He loves it. He wants it. And this is one of the reasons why we love to break bread together as well. Not just in the communion meal each and every week, but also through other meals, through Hot Dog Sunday. Through, through fellowship group potlucks. We believe that God has designed meals to be a place where real life and real fellowship are to be enjoyed. I almost <laughs> plan to give you all a $5 bill on your way out today to encourage you to go get lunch with somebody and to have real fellowship with them. We need to buy land, so that didn't work out. <laughs> but let me encourage you to spend time considering how eager God wants to share a meal with you and how, much, how good it is for us to share meals with each other. Now, it is not just the act of eating that makes a meal special. It's not just food. There's nothing magical about sitting at a table with, with food on it. Enemies can do that and probably be no closer to a relationship afterwards. God desires to share a meal with us and he desires for us to share meals with each other because in table fellowship there should be, at least the best table fellowship is fellowship that is marked by openness and transparency and honesty of relationship and true communion. It's where walls break down. It's where we don't feel like we need to hide. It's where we know others and we are known by them as well. This is why God wants to be in fellowship with us and this is why we should be in fellowship with each other. But that's not easy for us, is it? It's not easy for us because of our sin and because of our tendency to feel like we are imposters and not welcome. Most of us have a hard time engaging in true, honest, open fellowship with God and with other people. And that brings us to our second point, the lampstand. Today is November 5th, right? Halloween is behind us, and so here is the question. 
And this is a moment for transparency and honesty. How many of you have started listening to Christmas music? Uh Uh-huh. Yep, don't be bashful. Be bold. It's a bold thing to do. So go ahead. Yep, absolutely. Rosiers, I know that you do. Big time. You already have your tree up probably. Yep. Oh, see? Yep. I knew. Listen. Listen, I love Christmas, and I love Christmas music, and I was very tempted this week to break my own rule, which is to not listen to it till at least Thanksgiving, but, but, but I kept my rule, and I'll try to abide by it. But I love Christmas. But I was thinking about it this week. Why do we love the holidays as much as we do? Why do we enjoy this season in the way that we do? Do you know what I think it is? I think it is because we have been made by God very intentionally to enjoy deep fellowship and community. The holidays are hopefully, I sadly know that this is not the case for everyone, but the holidays are hopefully very relationally rich. They are hopefully a time when we spend time, more time together and at least try to be more real with each other. And I think that is why we are always trying to stretch out the holiday season as long as we can because we don't want to return to the darkness of normal life because we are made by God to enjoy these things. And, and so much of the rest of the year is filled with what feels to us like darkness and isolation and loneliness. And so we love the bright lights and the relational richness of the holiday season. And we don't want it to go quickly. So we spread it out as long as we can. But church, listen. We don't need to wait until November or December to enjoy the richness of relationship and the brightness of true community. Now we can do that every day of our lives because of what we see in our text today about the lampstand. This piece of furniture is very interesting. It, it also has many practical and spiritual implications. Practically, it's, it's just a lampstand. The, the text doesn't give specific measurements, so we don't know exactly how big it was, but it was a lampstand that held seven lamps. Here's a picture of what it likely looked like. But, but it was just a lampstand. And verse 37 says that it was to practically give light on the space in front of it. It was to cast light on the table and also on the altar. And and that's important because with no windows in the tabernacle and thick cloth all around, it would have been a very dark place. Practically, light was needed. But the lampstand is much more than a practical tool. In Exodus 27, it says that it was to remain on at all times. They, They were to tend it from morning till night. Why? because of what it represented. If you consider the design of this lampstand as explained here, you will quickly realize that this lampstand is designed as a tree, right? It has a base like a trunk, it has a centerpiece that goes up and then it has arms or as it describes it repeatedly in the text, it has branches that come out and those branches have blossoms and flowers on them. The lampstand is supposed to be seen as a tree. This isn't me just reading into it metaphorically. This is exactly what it was designed to be. And this makes sense because as we will see in the weeks to come, the entire tabernacle is to be designed in a way to be a reflection of the Garden of Eden. There are so many images in the tabernacle that are to remind us of the cosmos, to make us think about the world that God created. Even as verse 40 says, the tabernacle was made as a pattern of something else. And friends, if that true is true, and it is true, consider with me what a lampstand designed as a tree represents. Right In the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life. 
The tree that would have given eternal life. The tree that would have made permanent the perfection of that place. But all of that permanence was lost because of Adam and Eve's sin. But listen, in the tabernacle, which is a microcosm of the garden, in the tabernacle there is a tree, a tree that sheds light. Listen, church, God's heart is to dwell with his people. And the tabernacle, and later on the temple, they serve as arrows and reminders to us. The tabernacle and all of its imagery and its reflection of Eden, it points back to the Garden of Eden and what it was and the fellowship that they enjoyed in that place. And it serves as an arrow pointing forward to the new heavens and the new earth where we will dwell once again with God in heaven where there will be no more darkness where not only will we break bread with God himself as at the great marriage supper of the lamb but where there will be according to Revelation 21 verse 2 at the very center of heaven the tree of life heaven will be the new garden of Eden, and it will be permanent. We will freely eat of the tree of life in that place. This is amazing. Listen, if you are going through a hard season right now, if life is painful for you, if you feel like your life is fragile, if you feel like the sorrows of this world and all the sin-sick nature of this world, like it's almost too much to bear, If you feel like your life and your body and your mind and your heart are fragile, if you don't have any confidence about what tomorrow is going to bring, you can't even think about tomorrow because today has enough sorrows of its own, right? Friend, if you are feeling fragile, listen, the lampstand reminds us of the permanence of heaven which is coming Your weak life here on earth is going to be fully replaced with the strength of heaven. You will be a full, complete creation in Christ. You will reign with him forever. The tree of life will be yours, and it will be yours forever. This is glorious. Christians, celebrate this with me. The fact that God puts this tree in the tabernacle itself, it is such a loving thing for him to do for the Israelites and for us today. It's his way of saying to his people, don't forget why I made you. I know it hurts right now. I know your pain is real. I know the sorrows are mounting. Don't forget why I made you. Don't forget that I want to share a meal with you. Yes, this world is hard. Yes, there are enemies all around. Yes, there is sin and sickness and even death. But don't forget the ultimate holiday that's coming. Don't forget the ultimate Christmas feast which is on its way. And it will be marked by the most joyful experience you have ever known. And it will last forever. This is amazing. This is some of what the lampstand speaks of, and it is good. We must cling to these truths as we see them in the Old and in the New Testament. Our current circumstances are not where we will remain. Listen, the lampstand, which is designed as a tree, is not only a reminder of our very bright future, but it also is a reminder of how that bright future has been made possible. Because let's be honest, an eternity in heaven at a great banquet feast where we feel like an imposter, that sounds like a miserable experience. 
to be there for all eternity when we don't feel invited. It would be a miserable thing. Even, even a 30-minute lunch with a coworker that you're not a fan of is a hard thing. Why would we ever want to spend eternity in heaven with a God who in his holiness makes us feel like we are filthy with sin and an imposter in that place? I remember when I was younger, I, I worked for a land clearer for many years. We drove heavy machinery. We used chainsaws all day. It was a great job. That was the best part of the job. The, the bad part of the job was that I had to clean all the machines. And so I had to power wash these huge pieces of machinery. And by the end of the day, I was just, I was just caked in mud and grease. I was just, I was filthy, thick dirt all over me. I would try my best to, to wash it off at work, but I'd have to go home and scrub for about 40 minutes. And I remember one day I was, I was particularly dirty, and I came home, and I, I barged through the front door only to find my mom there with a bunch of ladies from the church having, having a meal, enjoying a, a, a brunch together. They were enjoying their feast of tea and cookies and quiche and all these things. I never felt so dirty in my life. If I had tried to sit at that table, they would have said No. I, I did not even want to try because I felt so out of place. Listen, we can be tempted to think that before God's holiness, that is how we are going to feel for all of eternity. That yet yeah, we're thankful that God saved us from wrath. Praise God, we're not going to hell. We won't experience his punishment. But that we still really shouldn't be there. That we're still kind of clothed in our filthy rags and probably should be escorted out. But listen, not only does the lampstand speak of how eternal and permanent this meal with God will be, the lampstand also speaks of how good, how sweet, how sincere, how bright and honest and true it will be. This lampstand reminds us of the light of God's grace which allows sinful people to come into his presence. The light of God's grace which dispels darkness in this world, right? John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is why it's good to celebrate Christmas with bright lights, because Jesus came as a baby into this world as a bright light to dispel the darkness. Jesus himself says about himself in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is who our Savior is. He came to dispel the darkness. He came to make the Father known to us. The Father who was unapproachable in His glory and holiness. John is saying that Jesus became human so that we might have darkness dispelled and rich relationship restored. Listen, the gospel that we celebrate every week together as a church family, the gospel is not that God ignores our sin and just acts as if he doesn't see it anymore. That would not be good news, because you and I would still see our sin and feel the weight of it on a daily basis. That would not be good news. The gospel is not that he just ignores our sins. The gospel is that in the light of his holiness, he sees all of our sin. None of it is hidden from him. As fearful as this is, friend, God has seen every thought you've ever had, He's heard every word you've ever spoken. He's seen every action you've ever taken. None of it can be hidden from him. The good news of the gospel is that he sees all of it. 
and still says that he loves you so much that he desires to pay the price for every one of them. The gospel is that Jesus himself was cast into darkness for you because of your sin. He was separated from the Father. Why? So that he might pay the price, so that your sins might be forgiven, so that God would no longer have to look at them anymore. The gospel is that God has dealt so definitively, so finally with your sin that when he looks at you he does not see even one of them anymore rather he sees the brilliance of the righteousness of Christ all over you that is really good news the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 meeting Jesus at the well the Samaritan woman who had been married five times and committed countless sins when when Jesus revealed even the secrets of her heart she did not want to go and hide She didn't cower in the corner saying he sees everything about me. No, there was joy in her heart because truly being known is a joy. She ran to tell others. She ran to tell people that she had met the one who knew everything about her. Listen, the light of Christ, the light of forgiveness had shone into her life. Friends, this is the gospel. Do you remember the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance and squandered it and ended up in a pigsty with the pigs, dirty clothes, muddy clothes? He came back cowering, offering to be a servant, but it says that when the father saw him a long way off, he ran to him and he hugged him. And he brought him in and he clothed him in a royal garment and he threw a feast for him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. The darkness in your life has been dispelled. He doesn't see it anymore if your faith is in Jesus. We will not spend eternity wondering whether we belong at that table or not. We will not spend our eternity feeling like we are imposters. No, we will fully know him and he will fully know us. We won't sit there thinking to ourselves, well, well, if only God knew. If only only God, if only these other people around me knew who I really was, then, then I would not be welcomed in that place or in this church. If they only knew about the ways that I've sinned, if they only knew about the words that I've spoken, the pornography that I've looked at, the abortions that I've had, if they only knew how broken I was, then I would not be welcome. No, the gospel is that God sees every one of those things, and because of his great mercy and grace, he still loves you in and through his son Jesus, who has made you righteous in his sight which is why we sing your blood has washed away my sins Jesus thank you the father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you the table and the lampstand speak of God's heart to share a meal with us and how he has made that meal possible by the light of his grace. Christian, we can live boldly. We can live confidently with him and for him and with each other. According to Ephesians chapter five, we can live in the light with each other. We can confess our sins, even our our gross sexual sins. We can confess our sins and not be afraid that we will be cast out. He already sees them. He's already paid for them, and so we don't need to hide them any longer. We can live in the richness of relationship with God and with his people.
May we be a church that lives in the light of his grace together.